Welcome back to another episode of Key in the Lake, the premier whiskey podcast without the mention of whiskey in the title whatsoever. Uh, This is day two that the city of Chicago is on a self-distancing quarantine, as we are calling it here in the first full day of a shutdown of bars and restaurants throughout Chicago. It's a little bit of a sad day here. At least the sun was out compared to yesterday when doomsday just kind of hit over all of our brothers and sisters in the uh, hospitality and spirits industry. Um, myself, as a brand ambassador for a company called Star Ward, an Australian distillery, um, I have nothing to do. Um, I can't go visit accounts, um, even our off-premise accounts, which is retail. Uh, they're keeping very cautious numbers to entering inside of their uh, stores so people don't get affected in doing the best they can to self-distance in a tight uh, uh, parameters. Um, but today we have, uh, it should be a happy time for me because my best friend in the entire world is joining me on this podcast via LA. Even though we've told some of our guests in the past, we don't do Skype, but we, uh, took an exception on this one so we could have Dr. Justin Stegerda MD on the podcast live from Los Angeles at, are you at Cedar sinai I am. Oh, he's at Cedar Sinai. He's on site, baby. Instead of us being on site at Beguile Brewing, he's on site in a hospital, and I'm sitting in my living room drinking some Tear Connell on St. Patrick's Day. Justin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm I'm happy to be here. I, you know, I actually forgot it was St. Patrick's Day. There's not a lot going on around here, so not too many people are celebrating anything right now. But um, yeah, uh, happy to be here. Best yeah, miss you. Best we, we, I miss you too. Um, as Brittany's eating some corned beef in the kitchen, I'm sure she misses you as well. <laughs> she had to make sure that all the uh, Irish companies were getting their Instagram posts up um, on time this evening. So that's what she does for her job. She is a, for people that don't know, she is, my wife is a social media marketing expert for uh, Jim Beam Centauri. So she has a lot of Irish companies that are celebrating today. I'm sure it's not so festive and all across the world like it is uh, here as well, where it's just a little bit, we're in more of a gloom period, trying to see what's going on in the world. And that's why we wanted to have um, a doctor on to talk about it a little bit from the perspective of what we can do as humans, but also what um, industry folks like us can do, because uh, we have a lot of industry people that listen to this podcast um, about how to, pre- how to take preventative measures and also just to be safe in the next coming weeks. And so, um, so Justin, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do over there in LA? Yeah, so I am. Uh, uh, I work at Cedars. I am um, one of the uh, senior uh, general surgical residents here at the uh, at the hospital. So I've gone through. This is uh, we're nearing the end of my seventh year of training. And uh, probably within, well, hopefully within about a year, we'll be a board-certified general surgeon. So, um, a lot of time, a lot of uh, a lot of things have gone into this, but um, getting ready to, uh, you know, almost getting ready to head out into the the real world. Um, the real world. Oh yeah, at 33 years old. That's right. <laughs> you know, late. I've always been a late bloomer. So it's something like yeah. If you don't, if people didn't know, almost no one knows really. Um, when Justin was in med school, I made sure to tutor him on everything. Very, very hard. Um, to kind of on a very straight and narrow track. He did. He he tutored me while uh, sipping beer and eating pretzels. So lots of pretzels. Lots of pretzels. Maybe, maybe some whiskey. Maybe some rum. Mostly beer. And mostly. Back then, back then it was a little bit more beer. Most I think it was cheaper. Oh, um, it was something. I don't know. <laughs> just, a, just a lot of uh, local craft beer from the great state of Michigan. But yeah, I mean, it's um, so it's 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 something, and, and you know, it's uh, the residency is is it's a grind. But getting towards the end of it here, didn't didn't think that this is how the year was gonna, <laughs> gonna close out. Yeah. Um, also, what would be great for us, too, uh, for all the Chicago folk who listen to this podcast, this dear man will be moving to Chicago in uh, July to start his fellowship at the Great Hospital of Northwestern downtown in Streeterville. So uh, after Justin gets off his shift, I will be spending a lot more time at Woodwind, which is the bar and restaurant on top of the medical center, um, where right now I actually have, well, I would have had two cocktails featured, but damn it, Corona. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I can't wait that you 
we'll be starting our transplant fellowship in August and uh, uh, another two-year whirlwind awaits. So, <laughs> Two-year whirlwind indeed with us being here. I guess just a little background on Justin and I. Uh, we've been friends since we were like 12 years old. We grew up together and went to middle school, high school, um, not college, and but uh, remained good friends. And then when he decided to go to med school, after undergrad, uh, I was had a job where I traveled a lot, and so I just slept on his couch quite a bit in um, the great University of Michigan, where they have an M that I spat on every single day as I spit, as I ran by. Um, but it was it's been a very long friendship, you know, twenty plus years in the making, which is crazy yeah. to think about. And uh, we've always maintained very very close friendship, no matter how far the distance was in between us. And he stood up as my best man at my wedding last winter, which I actually just posted about today getting proposed with a bottle of Irish whiskey so I guess it's all making sense and coming together at the end of this crazy crazy world of a day <laughs> yeah uh, that was what that was a great wedding man I had such a good time yeah I forgot all about it <laughs> it seems it seems so long ago right now so. it does yeah no it does and like obviously the kind of reason why we wanted to have this conversation is to talk about uh everything that's going on so um we'll, we'll try to have some levity while in here too because it is two good old friends catching up a little bit even though we just saw each other like two weeks ago so i think i'm actually that's part of the reason why the world is spreading with coronavirus is because of my travels <laughs> over the last three weeks um but uh yeah it was for you you said you, before we started recording um, you started noticing while you were on a ski trip trip in uh, Colorado. Yeah, so I guess you know obviously um, the coronavirus was really first diagnosed about uh, a little bit over three months ago in Wuhan, China, and uh, Wuhan province. And um, around that time, it seemed uh, fairly isolated uh, to um, to that that area of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. It, at that time, no one really knew what it was, and uh, but they knew that it was getting people really sick and, and pretty uh, critically ill. Um, over the course of the next couple months, we did learn more about it, and uh, I think that we here in the U.S. felt fairly isolated, probably right. until the end of February and um, uh, in early March. And I was skiing in Colorado at that time. Colorado had. Uh, no reported cases uh, until literally our very last day there, um, when they identified their cur- first case, which happened to be in a young man um, who was skiing at uh, the resort we were staying at. And, oh. um, uh, it was sort of we we're like, huh, this is like, you know, not good. About 17 states, I think, at that time were reporting cases. We sort of wanted to get back, and within about a week now, uh, a little bit over a week, you know, it's it's blossomed from uh, 100 cases in the country. I think we're now pushing, uh, or I think we're over 6,000 now as of today. So, just in the U.S.? Just in the U.S. The U.S. is over 6,000. Worldwide, we're almost to 200,000. Uh, what's the death toll? I saw a number. I can't remember what it is now. Is it over 4,000? Or is that uh, just China? Total deaths, total deaths in the world, um, are uh, total deaths in the U.S. as of today. We broke a hundred, and China, China's three thousand, Italy's twenty five hundred. So I mean, it's that number is is going up. So easy to say over six thousand, probably. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because obviously we don't know the documenting of every single country, if it's completely accurate and not, not at their fault necessarily, but just that there's so many people in some of these countries like China itself, where you have over a billion people. Yeah. Um, um, so it's, it's big. So what was your, you and your colleagues, what were your initial reactions to the coronavirus being, uh, beginning so far away and how do you, how were you portraying it or possibly forecasting the future that it might affect us in the U S or even go globally spreading? You know, I think very early on, um, our uh, perception was probably not that dissimilar from most people around the world. Mm. Uh, If you think, even within the last couple decades, we've had a few different outbreaks that have been worrisome, 
but remained isolated. And we're talking like avian flu, SARS, um, MERS, which is the Middle East Respiratory uh, Syndrome, and, and even Ebola, you know, in yeah. Africa, where there's certainly some some worry uh, and uh, measures that were taken, but they never really came to much fruition. Um, and I think a lot early on, uh, most people uh, in America, around the world, certainly uh, in my life, um, hmm. sort of, you know, we're just like, oh yeah, wow, this is not going, not not awesome. It looks like it's it's uh, kind of spread within within China, and they're having a lot of trouble containing it. But we didn't really, I'm I'm not sure anyone really understood what it meant on a global level. Um, uh, for for a while, for yeah. a long time. Did it? I mean, obviously, globalization plays a factor in all of this. Uh, where we are more connected, uh, more than we ever have been, probably any time in this world existing through technology, but also through access to flights too. Uh, and obviously, that plays a giant role in it. But I mean, is there? Because I think never like this has spread as an epidemic or a pandemic globally um where we're all affected by it and then seeing such different um results in every other country yeah you have to go back um probably like 1918 and they talk about the spanish mm-hmm. flu which right. killed uh i think the death toll in that was about five million people worldwide Jeez. um uh, to was get to partially because of world war one as well uh i mean i think back then you were Following World War One, you were starting to begin to see globalization. People were mm-hmm. able to get on cruise liners, transatlantic um, travel. Um, yeah, I knew I should have watched so. 1917 before this podcast. Damn it, I haven't seen it yet. I think uh, in America, the death toll was somewhere around six or six hundred, six hundred fifty thousand, maybe a little bit more. Um, wow. But the, I mean, worldwide, it was still it was a, it was a, it was pretty pretty horrifying. But you're right. Since since then, so about a century, we haven't really seen anything like this. I think the in terms of you know what it means for public health, like there's certainly a lot of worry about HIV because it was new and we didn't know much mm-hmm. about it. But it didn't really spread on this level either. Right. So. It's, um, and that kind of gets into like HIV people were afraid, you know, being in the air when Magic Johnson had that infamous cut on his arm and or famous, I shouldn't say infamous. It's more of a famous uh, uh, depiction of how we were so ignorant to the disease at the time where the trainer, the doctor, the team, he uh, intentionally didn't uh, pre- uh, cure the cut um, without gloves because he wanted to show you couldn't just get it through like touch. It had to be through the bloodstream. Is that ignorance, um, is that kind of being seen here with it all? I mean, or to, I guess more, even to get back into, like, how do we, re, how do we get this disease? How do, how do we receive it from one person to the other? Right. So, so right now the, um, the working theory is that this is spread by what we call droplet transmission. And that is people who are infected shed mm-hmm. the virus through their, um, through coughing, sneezing, uh, you know, droplets that um, come out of their nose or their mouth, essentially. Um, is that direct it, touch, or is it also an airborne event? So it is. It can be an airborne event if they cough directly in your face. Are you so um, proud of the terminology I'm using? Yeah, <laughs> I can tell you. You did your you did your homework. I didn't um, do any research at all. I just started using naming cocktails the airborne toxic toxic event after a band. I'm like, oh wait, is that how it actually works? <laughs> yeah, it, the the thing is, is that it's not just that; it's that these these viruses can live for up to a couple of days on the surfaces of things. So, it's not just that someone coughs on you or at you, but uh, you know they could cough into their hand, touch mm-hmm. a doorknob, and then you touch that same doorknob and you touch your face, and that's how you can can go ahead and spread it. Um, there's some limited stuff that it's also, there's also like a fecal oral transmission, meaning, you know, it, it can come out in your stool. But I think that, uh, the primary method of spread is going to be through, uh, droplets, either direct or indirect through like fomite surfaces and, um, and stuff like that. So that's why washing your hands, washing your clothes, washing, you know, 
not touching, uh, shaking hands is so important because oh. you know, that's where the virus is going to live. It's going to be on those things. So uh, while I was in Denver last weekend for work and laughing at people for not shaking hands and shaking hands, it was probably a bad thing. It's a yeah. And so if you're gonna shake someone's hand, you know, just go wash it right away. Don't touch your face, don't touch your eyes, don't mm. your ears, any any sort of thing like that before you do that. I uh ended up pouring about uh two hundred glasses of whiskey after that and four hours later but I washed my hands. Oh, oh no, not, no no no, actually not that's not true. Yet. I did go to the bathroom before the event started and washed my hands very thoroughly for that and sang the ABCs twice while doing it. You know, if you're not in, if you're not infected yet, hopefully you weren't infected then. Well, I just kind of I, I mean I was joking about it on our podcast yesterday with some buddies, um, not joking, but joking and also being serious, that I've been in L.A., Long Beach, San Diego, San Francisco, Big Sur, um, Denver, and St. Lucia over the last two two to two and a half weeks, and was afraid that I, I haven't felt anything. I I assume I have a pretty good immune system. Um, I don't know. Uh, whiskey kills it all and running, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> um, right. right. And so I haven't felt anything, but my biggest thing was what am I carrying and then contracting to others? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, um, especially with all the airports you'd be in, uh, being in during those circumstances as well. It's hard to know, but any, anyone out there can be, uh, can get it, can get infected. I think the the biggest uh, challenge that we have right now are the asymptomatic carriers. And those are people who get infected and have such mild symptoms that they either don't realize they're infected or, uh, you know, they're able to continue with most of their daily activities, but they're still shedding the virus and able to pass it on to people who um, may actually not be able to uh, deal with it as well. And so... Um, we have a, there's probably a large, per, large number of people in our general population who have contracted it, not known, passed it on. Um, uh, and then, and, and that's how, that's how these things, these things spread. That's why some of the other ones that we've seen like SARS and the avian mm. flu in particular, they had such a high, um, uh, they're, there was they they had such a high infectious rate, and in that pretty much anyone who got it showed symptoms and severe symptoms. That it was very easy to identify those people, quarantine them off, and and there weren't all many people who were like asymptomatic carriers. Great. The uh, the virility of this one is of this uh, this strain is is just a little bit less, such that it can continue to be passed along, quite 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 frequently and quite rapidly so like without being able to identify as easy as those other diseases people are traveling internationally through airports easier um because we were talking about it yesterday and Brittany Eve and i were talking about it as we came back into the country from saint lucia how easy it was there was no extra steps at all it was i don't think anybody even asked us anything leading or i guess poking at uh, coronavirus or even um, kind of any intention of it whatsoever. And we were both kind of befuddled by it, but also happy just to get through customs a lot easier. Um, and, we're, and we're on our merry way. But it does explain why this virus seems so much more, not necessarily deadlier, but we're taking it so much more cautiously at this point. Because yeah. it's almost like a, you know, a, a camouflaged enemy where we can't see it at all. And it's hiding in the bushes and they could attack us at any moment, but we don't know about it. Yeah, the uh, the the tra disease transmission is a, the way it's being transmitted is huge, and that's the fact that there are a lot of people who uh, are pretty much tolerating it with few symptoms, and also mm -hmm. it seems like people will be shedding the virus and are contagious um, before they actually show symptoms. Really, uh, you know, compared to like your average flu, where usually you're when you're showing symptoms is when you're infectious. This this seems to be able to be. Um, infectious prior to showing symptoms. So was there really no other extra steps? Like, I'm not trying to make this into a political conversation, but really just trying to identify what's happened over the last few weeks and what we're, where we're yeah. currently at. Is Was there anything more that we could have done as a country to prevent it? You know, I think that um, a, a lot of critics 
uh, out there will say that we were late to the game and, and that we just didn't recognize the potency and spread of this disease early enough. Um, and I, my personal opinion is in some regards, I think that's true. I think that we didn't react well to, uh, to it when we saw it spreading, begin to spread in Europe and the yeah. Middle East. And you're a big Trump supporter, so that's right. surprising you didn't say that. <laughs> Mega man, mega. Uh, I am not a Trump supporter, um, but but I'm trying to be fair here. Uh, yeah. I think that there is a novelty to this, though, um, that basically the entire world is is behind, right? So, yeah. regardless of whether we you know closed our borders or re- reduce travel or did any of that soon enough, um, there's certainly uh, a scientific process that Im- involving learning about this, that just every step takes time, regardless of uh, regardless of 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 uh, everything else that's going on around it, because it just you know certain chemical reactions and mm-hmm. scientific things and cell growth. It just it, there's a finite amount of time that that takes, and you can't make that go faster. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what is, uh, were there any other steps we could have done? I mean, obviously we're not going to find a cure in like two weeks or anything like that, but was it more, or is it just that you don't, didn't know it even existed here because it's such a uh, hard thing to identify? So I think, you know, I think that people will, um, I would say, you know, going back to the index cases, I think China, um, Mm. sort of covered up. Uh, some stuff early on or did not conspiracy theories did not respond they they themselves didn't respond well um, and in doing so allowed it to begin to spread sort of beyond their borders Mm -hmm. Um, I think that and a lot of experts uh, I think this based on what a lot I've read from a lot of experts you know this uh, the you know the COVID-19 disease was spread beyond China well before any of us had a chance to really react to it. Um, gotcha. People were traveling out of the country to right, right. every part of the world. And so once that happened, it, it, it was, um, it, it was going to be troublesome. Uh, there are methods of mitigating uh, pandemic or epidemic spread of diseases. Um, mm. Containment and mitigation are words that people use. Um, and what that means is whether you're identifying cases and following them versus uh, just sort of laying down rules about social distancing and closing public places, et cetera, the latter being mitigation and the former being containment. Mm-hmm. The, uh, we, we attempted containment and, and that we sort of just followed policy and protocol because that's usually the first step. Um, so I guess... Uh, could we have done? Could we have like gone straight to mitigation earlier? I guess we could have. What's uh, mitigation? Mitigation is is sort of where we are now, um, in okay. more of a lockdown types uh, setting. We shut down public events. You shut down restaurants and bars and, and and things like that. That's mitigation where it's you're 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 taking away chances for it to spread. Containment is identifying the cases following their contacts, telling their contacts to quarantine, and then mm-hmm. seeing if it continues to spread, which is where we started. It's where the rest of the world started. Um, and it, in this case, it proved to be not enough because we didn't understand enough about the, the virus. But um, I, I, I can't, it's hard to fault someone for doing, sort of following the rules as you know it, you know? Right. Yeah, it's like trying to catch like a photo of a piece of, of a lightning strike that happened in one area. You're sitting there waiting for it again, just hoping it, uh, you can f- kind of find it that way. But um, it's a lot of uh, it seems like a lot of like guessing in a way, which because something like this is pretty serious and widespread. And should we have been taking more drastic measures as in mitigation um, sooner, you think, as a country instead of waiting really until essentially Sunday night? I think, yes, I do. I mean. It's easier said, easier said than done. Right. And describe what's happening in L.A., if you would. Um, we haven't heard a direct contact talk about L.A. versus Chicago. Yeah. So L.A., um, 
uh, over the weekend, uh, following sort of all of the you know NBA season being uh, postponed or canceled or suspended, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, all of the sporting events um, over LeBron the weekend. For MVP, baby. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. Um, over the weekend, uh, our mayor and our governor um, uh, both set out. Uh, recommendations uh to close uh close restaurants close bars uh you know resort to take out only there's no dining in um and this was a following uh prior recommendations to uh stop all activities with more than 250 people and then all activities with more than 50 people and uh i I don't know for sure what the exact rules are up in San Francisco right now, but I think they've also uh, set some things in place to limit any sort of non-essential uh, yeah. uh, movement outside of the home, essentially. This, uh, my coworker who's there, uh, who lives there currently, uh, it's kind of more, it seems more closer to what Paris is doing, essentially, as a lockdown in the city, not by completely locking the city down and making you fill out cards and print them out to walk around with to be able to or permitted to in certain times of the day to go grocery shopping and such. But uh, it's probably closer to that than it, it, um, San Francisco is probably closer to that than any other U.S. city, it seems like at this point. Uh, I think so. I think New York is probably heading in that direction. And yeah. I, would, I, I think Seattle has sort of had, sort of been in a similar position if they haven't said it out, out loud. Yeah. Yeah, my boss who lives in Seattle, it sounds like they're probably just going to cancel the rest of the school year for kids um, as much of a precautionary measure as it can take, which is very sad. You can see the consequences of it affecting parents, you know, where might have single parents or one family, one parent income in a household as well. And then it's like, oh, what do you do with your eight, nine year old kids for the day? I have to stay home, might lose your paycheck, Um, all that kind of stuff. But the consequences could be uh, far deathly if we don't take care of it now, I guess. The, the social fallout is immense. Um, mm. I know here in Los Angeles and the, uh, the LA Unified School District, something like 60 to 70 percent of those families are at or below the poverty line. Children rely on going to school just for food, let alone education. Right. So yep. um, it's uh, uh, trying times uh, are ahead, but it, you're, you're right. The the converse of letting this continue to spread uncontrolled um, could prove uh, deadly. So what what do you think social distancing, we're putting a two-week timestamp on it right now. Um, I think most people believe this is probably going to exist longer than two weeks in certain capacities in certain forums of the U.S., but let's say we keep it in this two-week standpoint. Where do you, How do you think this will positively affect the country? So I so if there so it'll positively affect the country um, in the spread of disease and the the point of social distancing and social isolation is to limit transmission and uh, so if you imagine um, I think the for this uh, for this particular disease they're saying that the average infectious rate is somewhere between two and three people. Yeah. And that's about double what the the common flu is. Common flu is probably somewhere around one to two, one point three to one point five people. So for every person that you know, for every person that gets infected, another one to one and a half people gets infected. Great. For this, it's it's a little bit more than that. It's about like every two and a half two and a half people will get infected. Hmm. And so if you imagine throughout your day, uh, you encounter like a hundred people, right? And so. Just imagine every day that this goes around, it infects two, every person who's infected affects double the amount. Mm. And so uh, every every time you go, it's not just like one person and then two people and then three people. It's one person, then two people, then four people, then eight people, then 16 people. And so it, it, that number gets very big, very fast. Mm. And uh so the, the word that they're using for this is called exponential growth. And by that in algebra. Yeah. So by social, social distancing, social isolation, what we're essentially doing is reducing the infectious rate. So that now for every person that gets infected, instead of infecting two people, they're hopefully infecting 
less than one. Mm. So if you get it and you social isolate, then maybe you infect nobody. Okay. Because you just you're on your own and no one else can get it. So these are like the kind of numbers that like Instagram models would love to have. (laughs) They would love exponential growth. (laughs) Maybe Um, they have more of it than we we imagine. (laughs) They might, but so. But if you you know what we what we're seeing is right now is that um, you know those those numbers are still going, and there's a lot of different reasons why that this number is going to get really big in the next two weeks. Mm. Uh, But hopefully within about two weeks, which seems to be the sort of like uh, life Testing cycle period, of this virus yeah. okay. or something. Oh, okay. um, we'll start to see things level off and um, hopefully we can avoid situations like what we see is going on in Italy and Iran, uh, Spain, right. France, uh, and certainly what happened in China. Yeah, no, it's, it's the biggest thing that we have to keep in mind. When we're inside doing these social distancing practices and, you know, we go outside to get groceries and maybe just to go uh, grab our pickup delivery item from a um, bar or restaurant that's uh, been closed down to be for occupancy, but also they can still deliver to us, whatever. We just kind of go out, go out for a run. What should we do inside to make sure that when we do step outside for those brief moments that we aren't spreading more germs or spreading disease potentially. Yeah. So, so six feet is the number that a lot of people are giving and it seems a reasonable number. So if you're going to go out for a run or out for a walk, try and stay about six feet away from people and that'll sort of protect you and protect them. I'm miles Uh, ahead of everybody when I run. So, (laughs) uh, you know, whenever you, if for people who live in apartment buildings where they're going to be touching doors, keypads, uh, knobs, you know, don't, don't touch anything else until you wash your hands. Um, when you get back to your, to your apartment, um, you know, you see people on the street that are wearing masks in <laughs> and, and gloves. And, you know, I, it, there's, if you, if you're, if you sort of practice this social distancing, you probably don't need it, but I understand it. And, um, uh, but I, I, I would I would say like if you're not coughing and you're not around people who are coughing, you know you can serve those resources because you know mm. I can at least say here in the hospital like we don't have enough of them. Yeah, um, and that's one thing I wanted to know like what was hap- what's happening in the hospitals for sure. I mean, they, please finish your point, but let's get to that too. So so I think, but you know, like you said, like if you're during these times of social isolation, you you need to. Uh, if, if you need to go out for a walk, you should certainly go out for a walk. If you need to get some fresh air, go get some fresh air. You know, gyms are closed, so, you know, download a fitness app or look on YouTube. There are fitness videos. Like, you know, this isn't meant for everyone to just lay on the couch and eat potato chips. It is, um, but it I is meant. To- peanut butter granola, so is that okay? Oh, that, that works. That's <laughs> moderately healthier than potato chips, I suppose. <laughs> Um, but it is uh, it is meant to keep you. I mean, it's meant to keep you healthy, and so then mm. you also have to just take it upon yourself to stay healthy in other ways. Because the immune system builds as you're healthy, right? Uh, the immune system does build when you're healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, what I mean by that is that people were freaking out. Some friends like, well, how do I go work out? What do I do? And I was like, go for a run. And I'm, I'm like, I have no idea if going outside is bad or good for you at this point. But I also think if you're running on a trail and you're only passing people, you know, every whatever, yeah. maybe a couple of minutes or something like that, it's going to be a, yeah. a, more beneficial it's for your health to go do for. Exactly. I would hope to hope that as well. And, you know, order some kettlebells, order some dumbbells as well. And you can do a, a full body workout with like a 20 pound kettlebell for 30 minutes and you'll be sweating your ass off. So yeah. There's other ways to get around it. I and I'm not like, I'm no influencer. I'm no fit person. Like whatever. I'm just kind of your average guy who just runs and works out and tries to eat healthy and you know in between drinking a lot of whiskey and beer. So, uh, <laughs> um, but I was thinking about even just post like just doing like live videos as I'm like here. I'm this is what you can do for working out. It's super easy. You need 15 pound dumbbells and a yoga mat. That's all you need. So maybe we'll do something like that. We're trying to all figure it out as we go on this together. This great, great journey of ours of being in our apartments, being in our homes, and not, uh, I don't mean avoiding each other, but also trying to make sure that our loved ones are taken care of. 
Um, but kind of one thing we could get back to, we were just uh, hinting towards, like, I was listening to a conversation that um, was recorded in a hospital between of a do- of two doctors um, in Italy, and they're talking about how if you have a 45 year old patient versus an 84 year old patient, who are you going to give them um, the attention to and all the medical uh, resources to as well? And it's like, uh, honestly, it's like, just to be completely blunt, they're like, we're going to give it to the 45 year old and take care of that person because the likelihood for the 84 year old to respond to the medical attention is just going to be a poor result. Are we going to potentially face that here in the states? You think? Or are we? I think we are. We are certainly not facing it okay. now. Um, it, but yes, that is a very real possibility. Um, and there, you know, there are already guidelines about certain life-saving treatments, such as mm-hmm. uh, uh, a treatment called ECMO, where you basically are putting the body on bypass. Um, so that uh, your blood is taken out and reoxygenated through a machine uh, when your lungs aren't working. That's what Lance Armstrong did for all you boys and girls out there. <laughs> um, there are already guidelines uh, about who is eligible for a treatment like that. Um, but yes, there is. Uh, there's certainly discussion of uh, what it means to do fetal care. And uh, I think that there is serious concern uh, about uh, resources and resource availability and making sure that we have enough. And this sort of, this is why people, um, you know, this is why social distancing is important. It's not necessarily because we're going to, hopefully we do reduce the overall number of people who get the disease, but also we hope to reduce how quickly people get the disease and so that people can get treated and get home before new ones come to the hospital. Uh, what's happened in what happened in China, what happened in Italy is there are just so many people who got sick that they've overwhelmed the medical system to the point that they don't have enough resources for everyone. So when should people go to the hospital at what point or what symptoms should they be feeling to go to the hospital right or how so long? yeah so the symptoms uh the three ma- most common symptoms are going to be fever cough shortness of breath um and that cough uh, is described as a dry cough meaning you're not coughing stuff up but certainly some people will have like a sputum production okay um when do you go to the hospital? Well, if you have a fever and you have a cough and you feel otherwise okay, do not go to the hospital. Okay. Call your Department of Public Health. Call your doctor. They may want to test you, um, but if you're you know, able to walk around and do okay and you're not feeling short of breath, you're not needing any anything else, you know, then you're probably someone who may be infected and should be quarantined and isolated. Uh, but you don't necessarily need a hospital resource. Okay. Now, if you're feeling short of breath, go to a hospital. If you're having a hard time breathing, if you're vomiting and you can't keep yourself hydrated, go to the hospital. Um, but I, for you know, even here at Cedars, we're seeing a number of people that are coming in with some symptoms, mm-hmm. uh, but don't need hospital level care and. We literally test them and turn them back um, if they, as long as they meet the testing uh, criteria. But then we send them home and we, you know, we follow up with them or the Department of Health will follow up with them. Someone usually follows up with them in a few days. Uh, but uh, if you know, we're, we have to be very careful about who is getting hospital beds um, so that we don't overwhelm our resources. Yeah. Um, as doctors who are seeing these patients, um, do you, is it weird to send people out on their way that are showing certain symptoms, but you believe they don't have it? Is it concerning? Uh, well, you know, if they, so I guess if we think, if we think they don't have it, it's certainly uh, a little bit less concerning. Okay. If we think they do have it and they're okay, uh, we do know that uh, a vast majority of these people do fine. Yeah. Um, it is true that the, the mortality rate from this disease is significantly higher than the seasonal flu. But, you know, the, the seasonal flu kills 
one in uh, like less one in a thousand people or less. Okay. This is killing maybe somewhere between one to two in a hundred. Um, but it, that means ninety eight percent of people are still doing fine. Mm. Uh, not, that doesn't mean 98% of people don't need to be in a hospital. Certainly some of them do, but yeah. most of them don't. And if you're young and otherwise healthy and you don't have any other health problems, but you have a fever and a cough and you're walking around and feeling okay, we're going to send you home. And, mm. and, and it's, uh, we, it will sort of, we feel okay about that. That's why you go to med school. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, something like that. I mean, seven or, years to learn that. Seven, seven years, uh, four years undergrad, four years med school, and seven year residency. Just to get yeah. that. Worth <laughs> it. Worth it all the time. But no, but even too, I feel even bad that being this far into our conversation and not asking how do uh, I could tell um, just through text the other night that this was taking a harder toll on you than your average day uh, over the last few years. Um, how are you and your colleagues feeling, you know, like seeing all these people and then also knowing that this disease is spreading so vibrantly that you're, you, you know, you're the triage, you're the place where we decide, is this going to stop? How can we help people? Um, when are they okay to go home? What's yeah. the mental toll that's on you? So the mental, so I would say that there's a couple levels of this. First, um, you know, just as a human being, uh, mm. it's worrisome, right? Like I'm... I'll be the first to tell you I'm a little bit scared. Uh, this is something that we've never seen in our lifetime. Probably um, we'll never see again in our lifetime. Um, and and there's so much of the unknown about it that it it's 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 a little scary. From a sort of like work standpoint, it's 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 really scary uh, to see what's happening in Italy. Um, it looks like Spain and France are on the same slope. And if you look at all of the data, uh, we are uh, a week behind, but heading in the exact same direction. So uh, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that the measures that we're taking uh, publicly, uh, while drastic, are going to be helpful. I, um, I know that our hospital is seeing patients that have it. And I know that we are preparing for a large influx over the next one to two weeks um, that could really be uh, really take a toll on uh, on everyone here. Um, huh. I feel a little bit fortunate um, as a surgical resident. This is not really a surgical problem. Mm -hmm. So, uh, are you still I, helping out though in that capacity? By seeing so, patients? Uh, so not so much yet. I know they exist. I know that we've been asked to um, be available to help should they need procedures, which many of them eventually will. Um, but you know the you know right now the front line is really the doctors in the uh, emergency room okay. and uh, the 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 ICU intensivists. And, and the, the medicine doctors like Amisha, I know Amisha um, had a patient recently who tested positive and um, uh, Amisha's my girlfriend. Uh, yeah, you should probably say that too. Um, yes, yeah, a doctor, it's, it's doctor. Crazy, so, I know. So, so she, had a, she had a patient that tested positive, which causes mm. a lot of anxiety for, for her. Right. Uh, uh, so it's, so the, certainly, um, and then on the, another level, as one of sort of the like uh, the chief residents, um, you know, I am in charge of allocating our residents as resources, um, or at least like partially in charge and, and helping develop plans for that. And so, the last five, four or five days have been um, uh, just a series of emails and preparing for contingencies and how will we do this and how will we do that and if if we get to a point like we are in like they are in Italy or, or any you know Spain or China like it doesn't matter what kind of doctor you are you're going to be taking care of these patients so mm -hmm. um, so eventually I, I imagine we will yeah, eventually we will be taking care of them 
right now with our sort of the numbers are still relatively low and so they are uh they're not ours yet but it, it it's coming did other countries do you think that since we are taking these precautions maybe more before more before all these numbers come out so drastically in our country do you think that will help or did other countries try to do this as well um were they just too late because the disease was already there and it was so asymptomatic that they couldn't do anything about it uh, so other countries did start to do this, although I do think a little bit later than us. Although I will say that, um, uh, I mean, uh, throughout Italy and some parts of Europe, you know, they were doing sporting events without right. fans a lot earlier than we were yeah. uh, in their sort of disease phase. So we're a little bit later to the game on that front. But I think we've been more quick to implement some of the social isolation and uh, uh, social distancing uh, tactics. Right. So no, I, you I, saw the Serie A stadiums empty, and but they were still playing on. It kind of just shows how we are all, um, I don't want to say naive, but just ignorant to what, how, how serious it was as a disease. Like, oh, we can still play. We'll just not be in large groups. But then, yeah. you know, a week later, it's like, oh, no, we can't be here at all. And all these players are infected all across um, Syria and now developing into other leagues, uh, professional football leagues, soccer for all of you Americans out there across Europe. So, you know, so they were doing some of that stuff much earlier in their sort of disease course. Right. Um, but they hadn't necessarily done much of the lockdown stuff. So I'm hopeful. I'm hoping that, uh, you know, I, I'm hoping that the, this, you know, I think some people think it's a bit of an overreaction or, mm. or it was an overreaction. I'm hoping that because we're doing that before we're hitting sort of the numbers that they did it at, that we'll start to see our drop off earlier. Mm. I would caution people who focus only on the numbers uh, over the next week to two weeks, you're going to see these numbers go up a lot because we're testing more. Um, that is one aspect that we were incredibly late to the game, right. and that is in testing people. And I think it really hurt our uh, containment abilities. <laughs> yeah, no, and I don't want to hold you up too long. So I'll kind of get to, I guess, what we focus on here is bars, whiskey, the whole industry itself. Um, so as of last night at 9 p.m., Chicago bars and restaurants shut down. Uh, and then some are be able to stay open for delivery services only. And a lot of that's just kind of be like drop off on the corner, drop off, you know, one person coming in at a time. Um, as we talked about earlier, we probably thought these, you think these measures probably should have been taken a little bit earlier on, but you know, what can these bars and restaurants do in the meantime? So when they do open up, they can be ready to like, be a safe environment because you don't want to be that one bar that opens up you know like it's like hey left the band and like all right we're open now and then maybe some cases come on and you get yeah. uh, people from your bar are exposed to it so i i think that um certainly right now you know it's it's difficult for anyone in the service industry right. uh, as as people are allowed to go back out in public i would I would do a couple things. One, I would sort of limit, I would limit customers mm -hmm. uh, in terms of capacity. Um, there, this is not something that's going to go away in the next four or six weeks. Uh, I think um, unless this spreads like wildfire and 80% of the population gets infected, um, this is going to stick around and it's going to smolder for probably a year to a year and a half or until we have a vaccine. Right. And so you'll continue to see cases and um, people have to continue to be sort of vigilant about their health. Nonetheless, like at some point life will return. And, and so I think as we sort of ease back into that, people just need to be, you know, you're going to need to continue to do good hand hygiene. You're going to want to probably, at least within your group, sort of, you know, spread out, spread out the tables a little bit, give people a sense of, of space, um, uh, and, and sort of allow for a little bit of, of that, you know, fits, you're not like, you're going to be like socially distancing <laughs> if you're not self distancing. Um, right. well, you're socializing. Yeah. I mean, it, in places like New York and not so much Chicago, really, I mean, New York's one of the true cities of the, in America that we're on top of each other. 
um, a constant timing is do you, is that a place where you foresee more cases and more virus uh, exposure so i mean yeah the if you you know they hit they went over 1500 cases today in new york oh. alone um they're going to continue to grow uh i think that it's going to be a difficult time for them i don't really know uh you know i I think just, you know, anytime you sort of come out of a, a period like this, easing back into it, it seems to be the best and safest thing. So mm. uh, I probably the same would go for uh, you know, going to bars and restaurants. And that's, you know, they should, bars and restaurants need to be a little bit uh, probably more wary of their customers. Okay. Um, if you see customers that appear ill, you know, you, it's okay to... Tell them so. But then just sort of also assure them of the safety, uh, cleanliness, the measures your establishments are taking uh, to help prevent the spread of, of any ongoing disease. Things that things that they already do. Mm-hmm. Probably just be a little bit more transparent about it. I mean, yeah. I, I don't I don't know all of the regulations of. Uh, for bars and, and restaurants uh, in Chicago or New York mm-hmm. or even LA. I mean, ex- aside from the food, the grade, uh, letter grade they give them on the outside. <laughs> um, but I know a lot goes into that and, right. and think it's okay for some of these places to be transparent about the things they're doing uh, to help uh, the community and prevent the spread of disease. Right. I mean, even against your own recommendation, I went out the last two nights and... <laughs> I uh, it was the first time I ever saw bars literally sanitizing the seats as soon as somebody left before the next patron could come in, and those are probably the things that you're going to start doing as a company. Um, even taking away seats, taking away tables, so there is more space in between uh, customers when they come in there. When we come back in, open our doors, and hopefully people start making money. Hopefully, you just heard Remy the dog bark in the background too. Um, but those are things you don't see, and I think those are those those are the type of. Uh, practices that we're going to have to start doing and even people like myself and who are ambassadors or salespeople kind of remind people like we don't mind waiting the extra minute go ahead and treat yourself very well and uh treat your customers well and make sure that everyone's safe when you come when we go back when we resume all of our activities inside of these bars and restaurants as justin's using purell right now i am i have my own vodka purell 120 proof don't worry That'll kill just about anything, won't it? There we go. 120 people <laughs> kill just about anything coming from a doctor himself. I, no, and I, 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 I didn't take the severity of this too much um, until about really until Saturday night. Um, I flew into Denver on last Thursday, which was like March 12th or whatever it was. Remy, shut up. And uh, <laughs> she's fine. And was I was happy that we were kind of moving on with our normal life, not really understanding the circumstances of what we were living in or what we were about to live in. Friday morning, I woke up in Denver and it was super quiet and pretty bleak outside. There were still like some activations going on with some bars and um, whiskey companies uh, in the city, but it was you could tell there weren't many people out. And I was out with friends on that Thursday before, night before, and they were telling me how the bars are so empty compared to uh, usual Thursday night. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's kind of busy, but not too busy. I'm not from here. But people were I was sitting and eating and having lunch in a brewery on Friday afternoon, and people were talking about, yeah, there's nothing to do. We're just going to go drink all day. And people were kind of seeing it as more of a vacation versus yeah. it was an ep- a pandemic. And I went to uh, an event with 300 people, 220 people signed up for a 500-person ticketed event. Um, the event cut it down to 250 based on the government regulation. I talked to the event planner, and I said they were expecting probably about 220. I went to a bar um, real quick before and just had a drink, said hello, and I overheard one of the managers say to the other manager, we typically have um, 50 to 60 reservations on a Friday night at this bar, and they had four. So you're kind of, I started thinking, wow, these numbers are kind of really affecting everybody, and there isn't really anybody walking downtown Denver at the time. I go to the event. There's a little over 200 people. I probably show up to it. 
And most degenerates that were there drinking whiskey on a Friday night <laughs> and <laughs> paying $150 for a ticket um, to drink some fine spirits from across the world. They didn't, we all were like, I don't care about handshaking hands. We're already in the room together. And at that point, it probably was too late to any prevent too much when we we're all in a, a small ballroom uh, drinking whiskey and, you know, sharing stories for four hours. <laughs> and, and but it was it was strange. I kept getting texts from friends saying, "Are you doing that event tonight? Are you really doing that event tonight?" I'm like, "I guess so." Yeah, life gets to go on. And then Saturday morning, I woke up and flew out, and the airports were just dead. Uh, if you've ever flown through Denver, especially during the middle of spring break, it's a nightmare to go through. But it wasn't that bad at all. Um, my flight was maybe thirty percent full, if that, and it was technically sold out online. Uh, and you started to see the whole drastic measures of it. And I get to O'Hare and land, and there's nobody at O'Hare. They took me twenty-two minutes to get home from my from my car picking me up to getting to my apartment, which is crazy. And you, I was, and we sat inside the rest of the day. We didn't go out for St. Patrick's Day. We always celebrate. St. Patrick's Day in a pretty big way with my friends and my wife and I, and it it was it was just completely different. And I didn't want to go out. There was nothing something holding me back, saying like, "Hey, you know what? People are on the streets." And it started to hit me. And at this point, all the NBA had been canceled, NCAA tournament had been canceled, things that I I don't want to say cherish, but I love and look forward to. Yeah. And it was and that's kind of when it started to hit home. And by Sunday, we were like this is something we need to take care of individually. So hopefully they will support our entire community in a positive effect. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree a hundred percent. It took, it, it, I think it took, it took me a while to really grasp it. Yeah. You know, obviously like, you know, as Americans, we sort of pride ourselves on our ability <laughs> to sort of just like push on no matter what is happening. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, that's how we were raised <laughs> right like it, it doesn't it doesn't matter like we're gonna get the work done we're gonna do it or we're, we're gonna have fun we're gonna part like nothing's gonna stop us and mm-hmm. at, at some point we have to kind of put our pride aside and uh, um, uh, this is uh, unfortunately just one of those times where you know social re- it's it's not just about keeping yourself healthy it's about keeping mm-hmm. it's about keeping your loved ones healthy it's about yeah keeping you know your and my parents both are starting to get older into that age group where you know things start to go wrong and um it's worrisome to imagine them coming down to something like this because all of a sudden you don't really know like how they're gonna how it's gonna turn out and uh so it's like uh there there's a bit of a social responsibility in here too um and uh, I just I, I appreciate um, everyone who's who's out there taking care of these patients. You know, I, mm-hmm. people are going to talk about the doctors. I hope they don't forget about like the nurses. You know, the nurses who have to literally go in there those rooms right. five, six, seven, eight times a day. Um, the the number of like even like the ancillary staff around the hospital, like you know, all these people oh, yeah. are working so hard. So. Um, it's uh, it's going to be a trying time for everyone here, but uh, I think that we we're going to be we're going to be okay. Um, Good to hear, because I can hear it in your voice. It's a lot different. You're usually pretty optimistic on out th- most things, or you can you can push things aside if you really don't think it's a serious thing. But here it's a little taking more much more of a toll on you. Um, but it's good to hear you say that we will get through this. Yeah, no, we we for sure will, and. Um, it, Hopefully we're a little bit wiser and a little bit better for it. Yeah, hopefully we'll learn from it, you know, and uh, jump on things a little bit more, uh, uh, respond just a little bit more, a little more haste, if you will. You know, and and I hate to admit it on on your podcast of all of them, but I'm oh. I'm not I'm not the biggest whiskey drinker. Let's <laughs> try to keep that secret. But uh, you know, if you guys, if you have a nice bottle out there, put it away, and then in about six Ooh. weeks, go share it with your friends and I love uh, uh, enjoy. I know we're we're putting away a couple of nice bottles of wine, and that we're gonna looking forward to being able to enjoy with some friends uh, in, in a few weeks when uh, hopefully this thing starts to even out and uh, mm. we can see it uh, turn for the better. I love that. No, it's a great idea. Never even thought about that. Um, well, you tell me when it's the right time that we should be opening those bottles, and we'll start opening them and make sure to get it out there on the podcast too, so everybody else enjoys it. We know we, when the clear is, uh, you know, dust settles. 
to, I, I don't know. What's your, what's your whiskey of choice? Maybe I'll send you a bottle. No, you don't have to send me anything because my whiskey of choice, I have four bottles of it right now. So, <laughs> oh, you know, we were at, um, we were at this bar recently, a uh, place called the Phoenix. The Phoenix. Um, it's a couple blocks away from the hospital. It's, mm. uh, a, it's a kind of a, it's a darker type of bar. Uh, okay. That's good for the the second second round of drinks of the night, <laughs> and uh, they had some some really good Japanese whiskey. Nice. Uh, I think we spent fifty to sixty dollars a glass. Ooh, uh, what were you drinking? The Pinky Twelve? Amazaki? I didn't, I didn't pick it out, but it was delicious, and that's coming from me. So, who did pick it out? <laughs> Uh, one of my one of my second year residents. Who's nice, nice. Because like him. Taste. You know, Brittany worked for those companies, right? I I know. I <laughs> like it. It almost made me want, wish I knew more about whiskey. You 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 have somebody to have that outlet and conversation with in a learning experience. I, I feel like you have two years to teach me coming up. Oh, that's true. That's a good point. I have two years to teach you, and there's a good bar right above your work place of work where we can start having that conversation, that education. I can't wait. Uh, maybe I can get an apartment right there, too, and we can yeah, just that'd be wonderful. Over. Hopefully, you get a parking space in the apartment I could use as well, because instead of paying $26 to park in the Northwestern Medical Hospital parking lot. Parking how, much, how much like, do I have to pay for parking to live in Chicago? Oh, to live in Streeterville? Oh, you're looking at least three hundred dollars a month. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't even gonna bring a car. I wouldn't bring a car. You're not gonna need a car. <laughs> you're not gonna have time to use that car. Uh, oh well. No, but I think even um, like you said, I was I was thinking about going home to see our my parents, and uh, I was talking to my mom, and I'm like, you know. With my dad's health, it's probably not the best thing in the world to go see him um, at this time. And I really wanted to go see my grandpa uh, in Minneapolis next to my parents went up there. But i um, also going to put that on hold because a 91-year-old man probably doesn't need to be around too many people. Yeah, I think just for for a couple of weeks, you know, two, four weeks, I think, just lock it down. Mm-hmm. Learn, to lo- learn to love your the person you live with. And uh, I don't know. Do some puzzles, I guess. Read some books, do some writing, yeah. learn a second language. You probably could learn a second language in the next yeah. couple of weeks. Definitely. No, and as we have this free time, uh, there's a lot of people that are out of work, um, our bar and industry friends um, that are uh, um, out of a job currently. It's been amazing to see the response that's ha- that come out in the last 24 hours to help them. Um, just a couple of things for people to reach out to uh, locally here in Chicago, where I'm at. Um, there's a lot of GoFundMe accounts that bars are doing. Um, Starting with Delilah's, they have a a GoFundMe account. Also, The Whistler does. um, Dusix and Thalia Hall, 16 Center Restaurants, they have one. Uh, Hope for the Day is teamed up with um, a company called Leisure Activities uh, that are uh, making T-shirts to support the Chicago uh, industry folk. And they think they cost $25 per T-shirt, but that money is really going. It's more of a $25 donation than it is a T-shirt going to multiple bars and breweries. Um, out there too, so you can donate. And like GoFundMe, obviously, you can donate anywhere from like five dollars to whatever you want to do. But within, I think last time I checked Thalia Hall, they already had over twenty thousand dollars raised in like sixteen hours, seventeen hours for their um, for all the people they weren't able to keep on retained that are not uh, paid uh, um, that are paid hourly. So it's really cool to see the response that's happening here in Chicago. The Partners Guild of the U.S. is also helping out the industry folks too. Um, so if any way you can support people. Definitely go out and do it. Um, even just by ordering online and getting delivery or pickup from food from restaurants, it's just an easy way of keeping some people still employed um, through this trying time. And as a little podcast that we are, um, if you might not know, um, if you've ever listened to this podcast before, I should say, and if you haven't, I will educate you now. We usually record our podcast at Beak Isle Brewing in the neighborhood, neighbor, Ravenswood neighborhood of Chicago. Um, they're great friends of ours. They've let us um, lease out their space for free above their brewery and record our podcast on Friday afternoons. Obviously, we aren't doing that right now. Um, so what we're going to do is a small little part um, to help them out. We have t-shirts online that cost $20 
dollars. It's a key in the lake t-shirt, gorgeous t-shirt. And all the proceeds from that to his t-shirts now, I think I have 18 left are going to go to um, the staff there and just kind of see it as a uh, nice big tip for them um, as they are, uh, some of them are out of work or they're working less hours because they've gone from being a brewery and a bar to now just basically a retail shop and uh, brewing. They only have three brewers on staff. so But they're trying it out the best way possible. It's our little thanks to Beguile, um, Kevin, and on the whole crew there. Love you guys. My uh, my last drink before we went inside for isolation was with, the, was with the staff there last night. We crushed some blondes and listened to some Taking Back Sunday and the Menzingers and signed way into the little bit of a prohibition. So maybe like the old people back in like in 1920, it was a little bit of a romantic time uh, dancing into uh, dancing into isolation. But um, Mr. Dr. Justin Segerda, MD, is there anything else you want to tell the people out there before we take off for the evening? No, just remember, like, you know, this is a time, you know, stay safe, be smart, uh, work together. It's going to kind of take everyone doing their part, whatever that is. Um, mm. And do you, have, do you have any more? Do you have any more of those shirts, like a medium or a small? I have mediums and smalls. I have five mediums and three smalls left. Okay, you can I buy them know. at keyinthelake.com. Well, uh, okay. Well, I'll find a way. To <laughs> or, I can get, or, or I can get you one. I, I might know I, a guy. Oh, yes. Phew. I'll take one. We also know, but, um, Star Wars hats and black on black star. I know. That looks so good on you. I mean, Literally I, just, just came in today. I would actually buy one of those too. You know, Misha loves black on black hats. We'll send okay. a gift a care package to you guys. They don't in cost case, anything because we don't have a store case, here. In case you don't know, black on black on black is sort of like LA's mantra these days. So, oh, well, I'm glad. I'm really glad to hear that. <laughs> LA, keeping it real, living one day at a time at a funeral. I guess I don't know. No, Jack Cash. Thank you for having me. Well, maybe we'll do this again in a couple of weeks. Yeah, well, I think we should check back in and maybe the end of next week. See where we're at kind of uh um as a little marker to see if uh we are getting any better as a country getting more healthier and hopefully some people can go back to work yeah i hope so awesome dude well i love you um tell misha i love her and take care hope, hope both of you are very very safe and i only can hope to see you soon yeah I, i'd shake your hand but social distancing <laughs> <laughs> computer distancing technology distance yeah awesome right. dude well i appreciate it Everyone out there, be safe, take care, and uh, you know what? Distance yourself just for a short amount of time. I'll probably be back tomorrow with another podcast. Cheers, guys. <laughs>